Hi, I'm Jessica, and this is Dear Rosie. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been with me from the beginning, Dear Rosie is all new and I can't wait to catch you up. My name is Jessica. I've been living out of a suitcase since 2012 when I lost my job in New York City and hit the road. I've traveled quite a bit and met a lot of fascinating people, and I've become increasingly convinced that being willing to ask difficult questions, lean into uncertainty, and be brave enough to think and act outside the box is what makes for a rich and satisfying life. I don't think everybody should live like I do, but I am convinced that each of us has the ability to work with what we're given and build a life that feels good from the inside out. In this second season of the podcast, I'm opening up my perspective wide. I'm going to answer questions from you, questions about travel, finding your footing in uncertainty, and doing work that you love. And I'm going to talk with some of the most interesting people I know about the way they think, what they've struggled with, and how they're consciously creating a life they love. I've been floored by what each of them have shared with me, and I can't wait for you to hear it too. Dear Rosie, What's your opinion on guys who paint their fingers and toes? I'm friends with this really great straight guy who has great style and is super smart, and he got a manicure and a pedicure recently and got colorful nail polish on his fingers and toes. My immediate instinct was, oh, I don't like that, or I couldn't date him. But then I realized that could be a bigger issue about my standards of masculinity and that I need to reassess what I think about that. I think everyone should express themselves however they wish, and I'm so happy for everyone to do that. But then, I think if the guy I was dating did that, I don't know if I would like it. What do you think? Signed, Too Prissy for Polish. Prissy, I love that you are asking this question. I think it demonstrates a lot of self-awareness and an incredible desire for growth. So, let's talk about it. It sounds like you're experiencing something that a lot of us experience but often aren't aware of, which is that moment when our instinct and our intellect aren't quite aligned. I grew up in an environment where it sounds like very similar to how you grew up, where masculinity looked one way, femininity looked another, and ne'er the two should meet. (laughs) But as I've gotten older... I have expanded my definitions of what men look like and move like and act like in the world. And similarly, I've changed my ideas about what women should look like and sound like and act like in the world. And also seen that there are a range of ways of being a human in and around those two ideas. But this is not a dissertation on gender. I guess what I'm trying to say is that if I were in the hypothetical position that you posed about if you were dating this guy and he started painting his fingers and toes, you'd feel kind of funky about it. And I think I'd feel funky about it too. And I think for me, that's because the way that I was raised has given me sort of this muscle memory, this feeling in my body that this is how masculinity feels. And if I were to see or experience something that contradicted that, it would go against the way that I feel about things, you know, whereas in my brain, um, and, you know, as a result of living in big cities and meeting people who are different from the people that I grew up with, or just getting older and developing a more broad, nuanced sense of the world. I think despite the fact that I agree with you, I think everyone should be able to express themselves however they want. I think, um, you know, there's a really broad range of the way to be a person living and expressing yourself in the world. 
I think despite the fact that I believe those things, I would still feel weird about it. And I think that's because my feelings haven't caught up to my thoughts just yet. And if I were in the position that you described, I think it would be an incredible opportunity to let my body and my feelings and my muscle memory, as I said, really grow and expand and develop to catch up to the way that I think about things. You know, you posed a really interesting question about gender and expression, but this applies to a lot of other areas of our life too. Like in dating, how many times have you heard a friend say the kind of person that they want to be with and the characteristics that they want them to have, but then they never seem to date that person? (laughs) They always seem to date someone who's like not as great as the person they're describing. And I think that's because their muscle memory hasn't caught up to their ideas yet. They might say that they want something, but because of how they've been treated in the past or because of maybe the way that they were raised, love feels one way that is different from what they say they want in love. And the thing is, almost always your muscle memory is going to win out unless you decide to try and consciously change that. And it sounds like you are in an amazing position to change and grow. And I just, I can't say enough how impressed I am that you're asking yourself and me this question, because I think it shows that you are ready to grow and that you're about to move into a new phase of, of living and being and experiencing the world on your own. And I want to say one more thing about this. I think you might find that as you expand and make room for other people to express themselves in ways that make you feel a little uncomfortable, you're probably going to experience that you have more grace for yourself And that there might be parts of yourself where you've been shutting yourself down and saying, oh, that's not what people expect of me, or that's not what women do, or that's a little too X, Y, Z, whatever. But if you kind of open yourself up and let someone else do something and be something that makes you a little uncomfortable, you might just give yourself permission to do something that makes yourself a little uncomfortable, but ultimately reflects your values and who you want to be in the world. So that's my two cents. With that in mind, I cannot wait for you to hear my conversation with Allison Edinger. I have had the pleasure of knowing Allison for almost nine years, and she is someone who from the outside, I think it would be really easy to look at her life and say, oh, she's just following the plan, you know? She got married relatively young. She has a baby. She works a pretty traditional nine-to-five job. But as you'll hear in our conversation, her life and her choices have been anything but traditional. She has made thoughtful, intentional choices about who she wants to be and what she wants her life to be like and how she wants to move in the world. She has pressed through uncertainty and allowed herself to expand, and she's still doing that. And I think you're really going to love what she has to say. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Allison Edinger. That so cute. giraffe is crooked and it's going to drive me back. <laughs> That's all I can think about. I, I noticed it a few minutes ago. I was like, you can wait till this is done. Do you wanna, let's adjust it. I mean, it's just a little, you know, he's leaning to the right. Better. Yes. <laughs> when we hung them up, Rich put them all up. And then immediately my thought was like, maybe they should have been further to the left. And I was like, I can't say that. <laughs> They're perfect as they are. For the sake of my marriage. They're they're, perfect. They're perfect. They're perfect. (laughs) After he'd spent 30 minutes going here, 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 up, down, lower. Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, I, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I have these two, they're actually placemats and I have hung them as like textiles on the Perfect. wall of my room. Mm-hmm. It took me so long mm-hmm. to figure out how to hang those freaking placemats <laughs> because not only do they have to be like the same height and like, and there's only two of them. So it's not like I have to replicate the same distance right. apart, like with these ones, mm-hmm. but there's this rule. I'm sure you're aware of it about how high artwork mm-hmm. should be on the wall. Yes. And it's like 52 inches from yes, the floorboard. The gallery and, rules. Yes, mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it's like measuring that. It was like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of math for a drama major. <laughs> Allison Edinger. I almost called you Allison Gerard because that's how I met you. I don't know why. It just came out of my heart. But welcome to Dear Rosie. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with me. I'm so, I always love spending time with you and I'm so excited to talk with you here. You and I met on a blind friend date. We did. When we were both living in New York City, Mm -hmm. Um, a mutual friend of ours told me right before I moved to New York, she breathlessly grabbed me by the shoulders one afternoon and was like, Allison just moved to New York. You need to know Allison. So I moved to New York and we arranged to meet up. Where did we first meet up? We met at Donut Plant. And I oh, remember right. I was running late and it still bothers me that I was running late. <laughs> and I think in part because I had already been in the city for a few months and it still made me feel like such an amateur that I didn't know how long it took to get from the Upper West Side <laughs> to First of all, the Lower East Side. It's the Lower East Side. <laughs> no one knows how long know. it takes to get it to the Lower East Side. It just felt like such bad form. No. But it, yes, we went to donut plant and got donuts and then I think we went to the the flea flea market market. yeah and then didn't I get a little fur capelet or something and I got a necklace yes Mm -hmm. did you ever wear that necklace I did you did I did I have pictures (gasps) yes oh good um yeah and then we I think we and then we took a break we both needed to go home to reconvene and then we reconvened and we saw eat pray love we did (laughs) It was a full day. I mean, if that was a romantic date, I would have I would have really marked mm-hmm. it up a big success, mm-hmm. basically. It was. And the yeah. rest is history. And the rest and is history. Are. Here we are. And you had just moved to New York six months before I had, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I moved in January 2010. Okay. Oh, yeah. And you okay. got there, I think, in August? Uh, I think it was July, actually. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And we sort of, we had a lot of New York experiences together. We did. I feel like so many of my memories of living in New York are tied to, like, they're all things I did with you. Mm -hmm. And, like, we would go on these adventures and go to see shows and Mm -hmm. try out new restaurants. And that was so fun. And your friendship was such a blessing and a gift to me because when Mm -hmm. I moved to New York, I was moving at the encouragement and persistence of my lifelong best friend who'd been living there for a couple of years. And she and I had always planned to live in New York together and get an apartment and have this great New York experience, which to a degree we did. But before a few months before I moved there, she met someone and started dating him and had this new boyfriend. And then suddenly she she was an actress, so she was out traveling and on tours. And so she just wasn't around as much, I think, as either of us had expected. And I think, had I not met you, I think I just would have had a much lonelier New York experience. Oh my gosh. So a lot of the adventures that I had always imagined having in New York are things that you and I were able to do together. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) Let's just end it here. Okay. Um, Oh, that's so nice. And I remember, you know, you... We'll get to this later, but you left New York a little bit before I did to mm-hmm. move back here to LA to get married I did. and all I did. of that. And I think because I met you so early into my time in New York, I'm like truly getting emotional thinking about this. When you moved away, it was sort of like the Chrysler building left or something. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like, wait a minute. Like I had never really known New York without you. Mm -hmm. And so it felt like this big part of New York had vanished. And it, I, I, it took me a while to reorient myself to the city. Well, by that same token, when I think of 
even though you live 20 minutes from me now and you have lived all over the world in the years since, I still think of you as living there. And if I were to go back and visit mm. tomorrow, I would expect you to be there <laughs> because you are s- such a fundamental part of my New York experience. Mm. That's so special. Yeah, it was. <sighs> okay. We'll get to all of that in a minute. So you are a California girl who moved to New York for a new adventure. I think you had always wanted to live in New York, if I remember right. And you had this incredible love story happen while you were living in New York with someone that you knew here in L.A. And you had a beautiful long-distance relationship. And then you got engaged and you moved back to L.A. And you've been living here and continuing your amazing career. And just four months ago, you had a little beautiful baby boy who has been keeping you up most nights. (laughs) But I wanted to talk to you not only because I adore you and think you're brilliant, but also because, you know, something that I'm so interested in in pursuing in my own life and in talking about with other people is what it looks like to live an intentional life and to understand that you have a choice Mm -hmm. in a lot of things. And in a lot of things, we don't have choices, certainly, but, but there are a lot of times that we do. And to take advantage of those times and to try and yeah, create lives that that feel good and that um, reflect who we are and what we value and and yeah, moving towards building a life that we love. And I think you are someone who I think it would be easy to look at your life in some ways and say, oh, well, she's, you know, she's married. She has a child. She's, you know, doing the thing. Nine to five job, the husband, the kid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And knowing you, I know that you have made really difficult and intentional choices Mm -hmm. about the kind of life that you want to lead, the type of woman that you want to be, the kind of career that you want to build. And I have been lucky enough to see you sort of persist through uncertainty in a lot of, you know, areas and in a lot of times and come out the other side Not like, aha, I have found the answer and now I'm good. I never have to think about it again. But you carry a thoughtfulness and you really consider your life. And I really respect and admire that. So I wanted to talk. Can we just end here? That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Done. We're set. Wrap it up. Get the baby. So I want to talk with you about where that came from. So talk me through what it was like growing up in central California. Your mom was a school teacher, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. My dad was in agriculture. My mom was a second grade teacher. And so when you say I'm a California girl, that's very true. But for most people, that means beaches and surfing. And you have this sort of image of what it is to be a California girl. My California girl experience was in the farms of the Central Valley, I grew up in a very rural community, came to Los Angeles to go to USC as an undergrad. So that was my first sort of fish out of water experience. Yeah. What was that like going from such a small town? You know, USC is a great school. I I work there still. I love that university passionately. It's brought many of the things that I love about my life to me. I think had I had a stronger sense of self or known myself better when I was in high school, I would have recognized that maybe it wasn't the right fit for me. I think I was used to being a big fish in a small pond in my little farming town. And when I got to USC, it was so big and so overwhelming. All of these other kids seemed to come from really elite, high-performing high schools where they had extracurricular activities I'd never heard of, or they had aced AP exams I didn't even know existed. And I think for a while, that was really paralyzing for me. Not even so much being in the big city and traffic and theater and you know Hollywood. I mean, I, I had traveled enough that that wasn't really what was jarring to me. It was suddenly being surrounded by all of these supposed peers who seemed to have life experiences that were so vastly different from mm. mine. And so it made me really hesitant to do things like join clubs or seek extracurricular activities, or even choosing a major was a source of real anxiety for me because 
I felt like I needed to pick something that would lead to a successful career. I mean, my parents had, you know, sacrificed quite a bit to send me to this very expensive school. So I needed to find something that would lead to an income, hopefully do well, that I would be successful at. And I didn't know what that was. And Mm -hmm. so I spent the first two years of my time at USC, I mean, making great friends and having a great time, but still so unsure of my direction in life. And I only chose a major when the university at the end of my sophomore year sent me a letter saying, it's time to choose a major. (laughs) Come on, baby. Yeah, you can do it. Um, And so I chose communication because I'd taken a few classes in it and I was already on my way to fulfilling the requirements. So I figured I might as well do that. And it sounded like something that had career paths that it would lead to. Yeah, a lot of potential there. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what those career paths were, but I presumed they were out there. Um, so, so that was sort of my first entree into being an adult and living apart from my family and apart from everything I had known and trying to figure out what I was actually good at, not what I had seemed good at relative to my very small high school community Oh, interesting! in yeah. my hometown, but what am I actually good at? What do I truly have an affinity for and what can I really bring to the table? And I think I'm still figuring that out, but that was really the first moment that I had to think thoughtfully about those questions. Did you, at the end of college, I know for me, when I went to school, I had a similar situation where I was a transfer student. So I had been at a community college for two years and then Mm -hmm. transferred to UCLA into this very small program. And it felt like sort of a learn to swim by drowning situation Mm -hmm. where it was like, guess what? You're in. I had gone to this small college that I loved. I had just the most wonderful experience Mm -hmm. there. But same thing, like I remember sitting in an English class and someone raising their hand and talking about (laughs) whatever book we were supposed to have read that I hadn't read. Mm -hmm. And the way they talked about the book, I had never heard anyone speak that intelligently about probably anything in Mm -hmm. my whole life. And I was like, okay, this (laughs) Uh is the big leagues. Mm -hmm. This is okay. Got to figure this out. But I think something that I learned about myself in that time, and I'm curious if you had a similar experience was by the end of my time there, I wasn't valedictorian of my class or anything, but I remember leaving feeling like I feel good. I feel like I really sort of shimmied my way up a Mm -hmm. bit and figured some stuff out. And that feels really satisfying. Was that Does that sound familiar at all? Yes. By the time I graduated, I felt incredibly proud of myself for figuring it out, whatever it is. I I felt like I had done it. I had risen to the occasion. And I think I'm now able to appreciate that fish out of water feeling a little bit more. At the time, I felt there was so much riding on it. And because I wasn't doing it on my own dime, I felt such pressure to succeed. I can imagine feeling a need to like provide return on investment. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so that made it really difficult to feel like I had room to play or room to experiment or, I mean, my, my parents never said like, you have to be a business major because business majors make good money. It, It was never that, but I did feel like when I graduate, I can't expect them to fund my life beyond that point. They've given a lot for me to get here. I need to get a degree that will allow me to support myself in whatever way that is. And so it was pressure I was putting on myself to choose a path in life that would allow me to do that. And I did. I figured it out. And I did end up finding a career path that I never would have expected for myself, but that that did make sense, that I was good at, and that did allow me to provide for myself. And now I think... Because any risks that I've taken from that point have sort of just been on my shoulders alone, I feel more comfortable doing that. I do wish I had felt that freedom a little earlier. I I might have made different choices, but then again, I'm happy with where I am, so I, I can't be that upset about it. Yeah. How and where did New York factor into that? I visited New York for the first time during a summer vacation in middle school. 
my very best friend who I've known since I was six years old happened to be there with her family at the same time. So we still have this really sweet memory of our families meeting up for lunch at Tavern on the Green and our parents paying to send the kids on horse-drawn carriage ride through Central Park, which now knowing the prices of those things, I can't, (laughs) I cannot believe anyone agreed to that. I can't believe it. But the memories, The memories. I know. Memories. We've got got the really cute photos. Um, So she and I, in that moment, said, we're going to live here when we grow up. We are going to move to New York, and we are going to live here together when we grow up. I mean, we're talking like 12, 13 years old. If this wasn't an Olsen movie, it should have been. (laughs) It really should have been. So she ended up moving to the city first to go to theater conservatory and would call me almost daily to say, are you moving to New York yet? You need to move to New York can you move to New York now? And so about two years after I'd graduated from college, I had been in a job that was great and I'd learned a lot from, but wasn't really upwardly mobile. And I felt like I'd learned from it all that I could. She called one day and said, so when are you moving to New York? And I said, I think I'm ready now. And so that was in the fall of 2009. And I moved in January, 2010. And she and I found an apartment together two weeks later. It was one of those things I think I finally had gotten out from under that college mentality of somebody else is taking care of me. I have to give this return on investment. I'd been working for a couple of years. I had saved my own money and I felt comfortable finally taking my own risks. Was there any similarity when you moved to New York to how you felt when you started at USC or did you feel like, oh no, I know how this goes now? It was a little bit of both. I felt much more self-assured, much more confident in my ability to find the right job, find the right apartment, build the life for, for myself that I wanted. But at the same time, this was right after the big financial crisis. And mm-hmm. so my poor mother was panicked and calling on a daily basis saying, I can't believe you gave up a good paying job to move to one of the most expensive cities in the United <laughs> States with no employment. And she's not wrong. I mean, yeah. that, you know, that's, that's scary. And so... I definitely felt a lot more self-possessed in making that move and and confident that it would work out, but also knowing that, you know, bills are a real thing, rent is a real thing, and I'm going to need a job that takes care of those issues. I definitely steered more toward career paths that I had prior experience in that I thought I would more easily be hired for. New York has great universities. Universities typically, you know, it's it's not Wall Street money, but they they pay well enough to make a living. They have good benefits. And so these are the kinds of very practical things I was thinking about. I don't know that I allowed myself to think outside the box as much as in hindsight, I'd like to think that I would have. But then again, I don't know what else I would have been looking at because I do love the life of academics and I love being in a university setting and being with students. So I just have to interject here. You very graciously invited me to help in air quotes um, at a fundraising event, I think a few years ago for the law school. Yes. I did nothing helpful, but I remember it was the first time. You helped me taste test. Yes, (laughs) that I definitely helped with that. If you ever need help again, I am here for that. But I remember it was the first time I had seen you in a work context. And I was like, I don't know how much they're paying her. It's not enough because you had to interact with all of these different people, many of whom were fairly gruff and not uh, warm or particularly engaging. And you were just like a butter dish, like (laughs) roaming around, like making jokes, like, but it was, you just hit the right level with each and every person. And I was like, she's the best. And so I, maybe it's your dream environment and maybe it's not, but regardless, you you thrive there. You do You do it very well. Well, thank you. I, that's nice to hear. <laughs> I really was. I was like, damn, look at her go. And what, a, what an interesting juxtaposition between, you know, your friend who's working as an actress and has mm-hmm. this very kind of topsy-turvy bohemian life where she's like risking it all for her passion. Right. And, you know, and going, I'm like, who has the best benefits? <laughs> Ooh, where can I get the best medical coverage? 
I just find that I function best and am able to be freer in other areas of my life when my practical needs are not something that I have to worry about. And I'm sure that's true for for most people, but I think everyone has a different degree of comfort with that kind of uncertainty. I don't have great comfort with that uncertainty. So the more practical needs I can have covered and not have to worry about, it frees me up to either be creative or take risks in other areas of my life. Yeah. So speaking of risks, you and your now wonderful husband had a sort of unconventional way of getting together that involved a bit of a leap on your part. Mm -hmm. Can you... You don't have to go into the nitty gritty if you don't want to, but, (laughs) um, so you worked together here in LA. Mm -hmm. We worked together in LA. We were really good friends for the two and a half years that we worked together. And when I told him that I was leaving to move to New York, he was really supportive, but we sort of agreed we wanted to spend as much time together as we could before I left town, which we did. And in that final week before I left to New York, things moved from friendship to more than friendship. And which was really hard. I mean, I, I, I knew that moving to a new city with ties back in the old one was not a good idea. I mean, intellectually, I knew that I needed a fresh start, that if I really wanted to make a life for myself in New York, that if I wanted to put down roots and really make a go of it, having a boyfriend back in LA was not going to help my case any. Um, But my relationship with him felt important. It didn't feel like another guy or another romance. It wasn't just for the fun of it or because, oh, you know, there's, it's that the early days and everything's exciting and new. It felt meaningful and it felt like something worth preserving. So we, we started dating right before I moved to New York and it was long distance for the two and a half years that I was there. And I moved back to LA six weeks before we got married. So cool. I remember him coming to visit you quite a bit. You would come back and visit him, but you also did this thing that I thought was really fun where you would go on vacations together. So you would go on like, rather than him always coming to you or you always going to him, you would take trips and go somewhere totally new. The traveling back and forth was made easier because he was in California and my family's in California. I was in New York. His family was on the East coast. So we were just naturally back and forth anyway for weddings and babies and different family things that came up. But yeah, we we took a trip to Costa Rica and we just found ways to kind of meet in places that we would both have to fly to, which was, was really fun. And I think we got to know one another in different ways than maybe other couples do because of our unique situations. You know, you, you learn a lot about someone when you're long distance and all you have is conversation. And you learn a lot about someone when you travel together. <laughs> We already knew each other's friends, and and so we had that foundation to build upon, but we really got to know one another in these different ways that I think were really crucial to us building a solid foundation for our relationship. And that's something that I think is so special and unique about the relationship that you built and are still building. I certainly think there could have been a way to do it, getting to know each other. It would have been a lot harder, Mm -hmm. but... You know, that's not to say that it couldn't have worked, but Mm -hmm. I think there was something really special about the fact that you had this foundation of friendship that you were building on, which is, I think, a really special, beautiful thing whenever you're building a relationship. But when there was the long distance factored in of I'm not wondering about this person's character if I can't reach them, Mm -hmm. there were certain things that. I would imagine were much more difficult, but I can imagine, (laughs) I'm just thinking about some dating situations that I've been in where, you know, you get to a point when you're getting to know someone where you wonder, is this situational or is this a character issue? Mm -hmm. Is this indicative of the type of person that they are? Or is this just something that's happening right now? And certainly you, you know, we're still learning a lot about each other, but it's almost like you could run a little bit faster Mm -hmm. with it because you weren't worrying like, 
wait, are you secretly a jerk? Yeah. Like, no, hang on. It, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's just part of my personality in general. Is I don't I don't open up to people very easily. It's very difficult for me to enter a place of vulnerability with someone. So I've never been the person to have a romantic relationship with someone right off the bat without it having a foundation of friendship or something else that precedes it. I think I would have a very difficult time having that kind of openness to someone that I didn't know in that way already. Mm. And so with my now husband, I needed that foundation of friendship. I mean, all the more so because we were long distance for so much of our relationship. But but even if we hadn't been, we wouldn't have started dating as soon as I met him because I didn't know him and I didn't trust him. And I'm not telling my secrets to some stranger. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. Strange man. Who are um, you? I've always admired that about people who can meet someone and have this kind of romantic comedy kind of romance <laughs> that cute. blossoms. Yeah, that blossoms right away. That's just not how my my brain works or my heart works. Yeah. I mean, you took this incredible leap. You know, up until that point, there had been a lot of major decisions in your life that were made. I don't want to minimize the bravery that it took to make these decisions, but a lot of these decisions were made like, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I am going to do this because this is the thing that makes sense. Right. And dating someone who lives in the city you are moving away from does not make sense. sense. No, it doesn't. And I, I remember at the time telling him, I mean, I, I tried to end it. I, yeah. Even though my heart wasn't in it, I remember telling him, I can't have half of my heart in LA while I'm trying to set up a life in New York. I just, I can't, I can't do it. And and luckily he was more stubborn than I was. And, and I was wrong. I, I could do it and I did do it. And it was difficult. It was very expensive. I learned a lot of miles <laughs> on JetBlue, but it was doable. And I think... On the one hand, it could be seen as while I had this new unpaved path ahead of me in New York, there was this tether of comfort in Mm. L.A. It was almost the opposite in that I knew that it would be so easy to quit New York because I had this tether in Los Angeles. And so if I wanted to make this move worth it, I really had to go for it, which I I think I did. And it, it made it all the sweeter to have someone I could share that with even 3,000 miles away. He was cheering me on every step of the way and never made me feel badly about my decision to leave or even asked me to move back. I mean, I, I did end up moving back, but only because it was the right decision for us as we were approaching marriage, but was such a cheerleader for me in that adventure of my life that it made it all the richer. No pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) Your husband is named Rich. He is named Rich. I remember um, one of the first times the three of us spent time together. I liked him from, you know, minute one, but I remember we ended up going to the top of 30 Rockefeller Plaza. We went to the roof together with the three of us, which was very romantic. The three of us going up there. It was quite the date we had. It really was. Um, But I remember he made a few jokes while we were up there. (laughs) I just remember... I was just like, oh, Rich can hang. Like, <laughs> like I, I remember he made a joke about my boobs. We're like, it was not at all. It didn't make me uncomfortable at all. Oh, but it was goodness. just it. It was it, so, at first blush that doesn't sound good. No, I know it doesn't sound good, but <laughs> he. It was so subtle and it was so respectful, but it was also like, I've got your back and. I'm going to kind of like poke fun at you. It was just, he walked that line so perfectly. And I was like, he is the best. And I am waving my pom-poms over here. And he's still, yeah, he's still the best. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And so you moved back here to Mm -hmm. Mary Rich. And we are now sitting in your home in Los Angeles that you share. And so you were working in a university in Los Angeles before you moved to New York. Then you worked at a different university in New York. And then you came back to Los Angeles and you're working in academia again at the same university. And as you were sort of thinking about, do I want to continue in academia? Do I want to try something else? You decided to bring a baby into mm-hmm. the scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. Things weren't hard enough. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, and that timeline makes everything feel like I did this and I did this right. and I did this and yeah. I did this, which it does feel like in my mind as well. I mean, it feels like things have gone that quickly, 
But this June will have been married seven years. That is nuts. I know. That's crazy. I know. Allison. So, um, Ugh. That was such a beautiful wedding oh, in Santa Barbara. Thanks. Can I oh tell gosh. you, this is this is awful, and maybe we should cut it out. But <laughs> to this day, and I hope, I truly hope everyone feels this way about their wedding. But anytime we go to weddings, we're like, ours was better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. you. It really was a great wedding. Yeah, I can affirm that for you. It was yeah. a great wedding. And I have to say... I'm not normally someone who's like, I don't dislike the ceremony, but it's not usually the like flag usually, waving. Yeah, it's no fun for anybody except the, the family. Involved. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when you go to a child's piano recital, <laughs> right. you're only there to see your kid. Exactly. Everyone else is awful. And then you're out. Yeah. It's, it's fine. Yeah. But I remember really loving your ceremony. You had it in this beautiful, very traditional church, mm-hmm. and you had that gorgeous dress. And. There was something that felt so solid doesn't quite convey the beauty of it, but it just felt like a true thing. It felt real, if that makes sense. It does. And I I appreciate that. One of the things we wanted was in this era of Pinterest and Instagram, and it's, it's easy to fall into that trap of wanting everything picture perfect, which of course we did to a degree. But at the end of the day, I wanted it to feel like a wedding. I wanted it to feel sacred. Mm. And I wanted the party to be really fun, but I didn't want to lose sight of the fact that the promises we're making to one another and the vows we're saying and the way we're bringing our friends and family around us to support and affirm those vows, that's really huge. And it I wanted it to feel important. I wanted the ceremony to have the weight of what we were saying to one another. Yeah, the meaning that it was truly carrying mm-hmm. for that to come through. Right. And yeah, I think it did. It was, yeah, it was a beautiful wedding and a gorgeous reception and in that beautiful hall in Montecito. Montecito, yeah. Ugh, so pretty. Okay, so yeah, I cut you off. You were saying that I made everything sound sort of compact and boop, 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 but obviously we both know that life doesn't work that right. way. But yeah, so you've been married for seven, it'll be seven years mm-hmm. this summer. And yeah, and our son was born in December. So life has <laughs> life has changed from the day that we could just wander all day at flea markets in I know. New York. I can only imagine how having a child changes the way that you feel about life, about the way that you feel about yourself, about the way that you view and maybe dream about your future. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I think, have always wanted to have kids. That mm-hmm. wasn't something that changed or wavered necessarily for you. But I also never got the vibe that you were just like sitting, you know, hands clasped, like waiting for the moment, you know. Right. It was, you wanted to do it, but you wanted to do it in your time. Yeah. Rich and I were always clear that we wanted to have kids. And I, anticipating our conversation, I was trying to think if you were to ask me why that was, what my answer would be. And I don't know how to articulate that. I think, you know, I I was just watching some Instagram story the other day of someone announcing their pregnancy. And when someone asked if they had always wanted to have children, they said, well, yes, we we always wanted to have children. Family's very important to us. And I just sort of bristled at that because the implication was that if you choose not to have kids, that family is not important to you. And so I would never want to come across as saying like, well, oh, well, you know, we, we love family. We want family. You know, that's, that's important to us. If you don't have children, you, you're not a family person, (laughs) right? You're not into family. (laughs) Um, but we always knew that that's what we wanted our family to look like. And at the same time, we, we had a lot of dreams for the adventures we wanted to have as a couple. And so we took six years to have those adventures together um, as a married couple. I mean, not even counting the the time we were dating. And And Rich was getting his doctorate during that time. Right. You're continuing to build your career. Right. We were traveling and and taking advantage of living in the great city that LA is. I mean, I think it's so easy to fall into the trap of living in a big city, but treating your neighborhood like a small town. And Mm. I think there's wonderful value in that when you, you know, you know, the dry cleaner and the pizza guy knows you by name and it feels like this small community. 
but at the same time, I mean, you don't pay LA rents just <laughs> for the heck of it. I mean, it's because you want to be here in the city and to take advantage of all it has to offer. And so we went to the nice restaurants and we saw theater and we would go to the beach. And, and I say this all in the past tense because since our son was born, I, I'm basically a homebody. But we love have loved living in LA and, and really making the most of everything the city has to offer. And we wanted to have the chance to do that before we had kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think we were able to do that. And I think now the excitement is in looking at what can we expose our son to now as a baby, or at least what can we take him to where he won't bother other people. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the future, what are the things we want to expose him to that we want to make a part of his life? Hmm. Has your vision of your future changed at all since he's come into the picture? Because you always knew that you wanted to have Mm -hmm. kids. So there's, there's an element where there's sort of an outline in place. Has any of that changed at all? Well, I think growing up in a small town where at least in, in my peer group, everyone's family owned their own home and they were all relatively large because land was less expensive than it is here in LA and, and, People own their own homes. And everyone went to school together because there weren't that many schools. Right. <laughs> and everyone knows everybody and there's one post office. And and so I think my childhood vision of what marriage and family would look like was very different mm. from what it looks like for me now. When Rich and I got married and we're living in this big city and then when I got pregnant, we knew that that's not what it was going to look like. We were not in a five bedroom home on half an acre and with some tire swing in the back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's different from the childhood vision of that life I had imagined. And I think now what I'm wrestling with, and I, I've not come to any conclusions about this is I had a working mother. I'd always imagined I would be a working mother and I'm on maternity leave, but for all intents and purposes, I am a working mother. I never imagined myself having any desire to stay home with my kids. I think it sounded a little too traditional, a little too Betty Crocker or, you know, a little too June Cleaver. Mm -hmm. And I figured I felt like I had plenty of time with my own mom, even though she wasn't home during the days. And, you know, your kids go to school, moms go to work, kids go to school, and you see each other in the mornings and the evenings and the weekends. And that's, that's how family life works. But now that I'm on the cusp of going back to work, I've been really surprised by these feelings I've had of, is that actually what I want for myself? Mm. And certainly, you know, there are other factors that come into making that decision. And I think some of this is just the anxiety of a new mom preparing to leave her, her baby for the first time. Yeah. But now I'm starting to really think about what the future looks like again you know, does that mean going back to work full time? Do we need to live closer to work because our commutes are so long? And that's part of what living in a big city is, is at least in Los Angeles, you sit in the car a lot. When I think about what our family looks like in the future, a lot of it is unclear because I'm still figuring out what is healthiest for me and what is best for our family. And there's no clear answer to that yet. You know, maybe I'll go back to work and I'll think, oh, thank God I can talk to adults again, you know, which I'm (laughs) really excited about. And maybe I'll get back to work and I'll never get past that hump of, yes, I'm talking to adults, but I'm not really engaged in the conversation because I'm paranoid about what's going on with my kid Mm -hmm. (laughs) in daycare. Yeah. But I think more than that, the really sweet thing has been all these adventures that for the first six years of our marriage, Rich and I had envisioned for ourselves that we've not gotten to yet. The safari in Africa or living abroad or things we want to learn or experience or do. For those first six years, it was just the two of us in those dreams. And now we've got this other little person and the thought of bringing him with us on those adventures is really exciting and getting the chance to expose him to things and teach him things and share with him the things that we love is really exciting. And we're actually, we're going on our first trip as a family next week to Sonoma. And that's fun. It is. I hope, I hope (laughs) six hours in the car with a four month old. But when I travel, I'm like a at 9.15, we're doing this. At 9.20, we're doing this. By 9.22, we need to be back in the car. (laughs) And knowing that traveling with a baby is not going to work like that has really forced me to slow down and 
we've got like two things on our itinerary for the five days that we're gone. And the rest is just going to be kind of playing it by ear. I don't I think, know if I've ever heard you use the phrase play it by ear. I, like it just not, struck me. I was like, it felt sort of, those are the first, those words just it was, came out of Alice's It was mouth. like chewing gravel coming out of my <laughs> mouth. But I think it's good for me. I think I'm a very regimented person. Mm. I like to-do lists. I like schedules. I like order. And so having a baby has forced me to consider that, you know, it's okay if things are not on a schedule. It's just forced me to slow down and take a step back and not you know, turn my back on the idea of schedules or to-do lists, but rather than having a to-do list of 20 items, it's really forced me to kind of take a look at the big picture and say, what's the one thing that needs to get done today? And if that's all that gets done, I can still feel good about the day at the end of it. And it sounds like you are becoming good at doing both, which is incredible. You have this ability to create a schedule, to create priorities, to create a to-do list, and... When the situation, you know, requires it to say like, all right, well, yeah. that's not going to work here, right. but I can do this instead. Right. And that's an incredible range of skills to have. Right. Yeah. Having a kid teaches you all sorts of things. I mean, my brain space is now taken up with things I never thought I would need to know. I mean, which diaper creams work? I mean, just like <laughs> inane stuff that I... I I do sometimes worry, like, what knowledge did I have to give up to make room for this bit of information? What got kicked out? Right. But at the same time, it has forced me to grow, to let go of some issues I have with wanting things to be orderly and perfect and controlled, and to just really focus on the things that mattered. And sometimes the baby just wants to be held, so things aren't going to get done for a little while. And that just has to be okay. Yeah. Allison, I respect you so much and I adore you so much. And I think one of the things that has always impressed me about you is that you are so organized and uh, thoughtful about not only the big choices that you make, but the little choices that you make. And you are so much fun. Like... (laughs) Those two things don't always go together. And I feel very lucky to call you my friend and to have known you for so long. And Same. I really respect the way that you are working through new ideas and you're not shying away from thinking through stuff that's difficult and challenges lifelong perceptions that you've had about things or ideas. Your thoughtfulness is something that carries through in every area of your life. And it's really beautiful to watch. So thank you for sharing it with me. Thank you. I always love talking with Allison. Isn't she great? I just think she's such a great example of someone who, despite the fact that from the outside is living this really traditional life, As you heard, she has made conscious choices about who she is, the type of life that she wants to lead, and she has allowed for that definition to expand, and it's still expanding, and I respect and admire that very much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Dear Rosie. If you did, pop by my Instagram, Dear Rosie Podcast, and send me a message. I'd love to hear what you thought, or if you just want to say hello. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the show, you can DM me on Instagram too. I'll be able to see who you are, but it'll be anonymous on the show. And if you like what's going on, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you tell a friend, I'll kiss you the next time I see you. Until then, I'll see you next week.